Good to have you joining us for worship. So, it seemed good to get ready for Resurrection Sunday to think deeply about some of the things that the Lord Jesus did uh, shortly before He was crucified and resurrected. So we're going to be in John 11 tonight. This may be a shock to some of you, but I will, God willing, attempt to preach the whole chapter. Uh, I know that's a lot for me uh, in one setting, but uh, it's an important chapter. Um, it's like a tutorial on how to live your Christian life in one sense. There's, a, there's, there's like a ton of theology there. I could probably do 20 sermons uh, in John 11. Uh, it truly is a tutorial for us in living this life. John 11 will teach us how profoundly God loves us. Okay? John 11 will teach us about prayer. John 11 will teach us that we can indeed live boldly and fearlessly because of the sovereignty of God. John 11 teaches us why we should trust God when we don't understand God. John 11 teaches us that God is at work in our trials, not only for our good, but for the conversion of those around us. This is a huge lesson of John 11. John 11 teaches us why to delight in God's glory even when it's hard, even when we're in a hard place, even when the circumstance is difficult. Why we should delight in God. John 11 teaches us that God is doing infinitely more in our lives and in our trials than we can even begin to understand. And if you're, you need to tell me, okay, sidebar, it seems like it's getting warm in here, Chinelo. Maybe you can turn the heat down. So, um, and then as I prayed earlier, we discover in John 11 that it's true. Jesus is the Christ. Right? It's true. We've already known it. If you know anything about the Gospel of John, we've known it for a long time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, and the Word has dwelt with us. And we've seen the glory of God in Christ. So we know He's Christ. But there's no doubt after John 11. There's no doubt. You know what He does. He calls a man dead for four days out of the tomb. Only God can do that. And of course, it is a prelude to His own resurrection. So I hope you have your Bibles open to John 11. First verse, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, um, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, obviously, these are friends of Jesus. If you know anything about the Gospels, you realize that. Verse 2, and it was, it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So there's a deep love in this family for Jesus, and, and Jesus reciprocates. There's a deep human love here, right? There's a lot going on. There's a, there's a huge uh, relationship that, that sits behind this chapter. Jesus loved these people. Maybe unlike He loved any other human beings as a human being, Jesus was very close to these people. Verse 3, The sisters therefore sent to Him, saying, Lord, behold, He whom you love is sick. Notice, I love this about prayer. Just a sidebar on prayer. 
They don't ask God to do anything. I actually love this kind of prayer. (laughs) They don't really ask Jesus to do anything. They tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And it's like they leave it with Him, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? They, They leave it with Him. I love to do this. I delight in praying like this. The Lord already knows, right? He already knows. And I'm not saying we should pray like this all the time. Of course we bring our petitions to the Lord. Of course we can. Ask, seek, knock. But I love personally to pray like this. To speak the need, to speak the name to God and leave it with God. This is, a, in my view, a beautiful picture of prayer. Many of us pray like this, Lord, I have this need and I want You to have it uh, fixed by Tuesday. Right? Beloved, this is a low view of prayer. This is a low view of God. And it's really a low view of who you are in Christ. Right? Lord God, I want this and I want it by Tuesday. This is not how we talk to our Creator. We talk, we've been talking a lot about prayer in the Young Adult Bible class, right? Young Adult Bible study. We saw it. Jesus says, pray like this. Pray the will of God. And then He modeled it for us in Gethsemane, right? He said, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, Your will. This is where the matured Christian comes in prayer. And I sense this, at least to some degree, as Martha and Mary send word to Christ. And I love too, uh, did you notice how it says it? He whom you love is sick. It's not not, uh, Lazarus who loves you. It's Lazarus whom you love, right? (laughs) And God's love is infinitely above ours. I mean, I know how human love can be. It can be unpredictable and, uh, yeah, lacking in commitment. It can be inconsistent and erratic. But God's love is perfect. God's love is perfect. Lazarus whom you love is sick. What a beautiful way to pray, right? What a beautiful way to pray. What a beautiful way to pray. So, verse 4 and 6. Really, there's, there's a ton of theology here. I could preach maybe five sermons just right here on these few verses, but let's read it. When Jesus heard it, He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that He was sick, He stayed uh, then two days longer in the place where He was. Before I talk about the message of the verses, I just want to ask you this question. Is that your first thought? when you become ill or someone in your family becomes ill? Is that your first thought? That this is for the glory of God? Do we ever think this way? Let's be honest. Most of us don't think this way. God thinks this way. Is it your second thought? Is it your third thought? Does it ever come into your mind that God is doing something that you don't understand? Beloved, we need need to be looking to God, not to our own human 
understanding. This is the second time this has been revealed in the Gospel of John. You know what happens in John chapter 9, right? The man born blind is healed. And the disciples said, well, why is this man blind? Did his parents sin or did he sin? What's the deal here? Who sinned? And what's the answer? What was the answer Jesus gave them? Do you remember? For the glory of God, that the works of God might be seen in him. Beloved, I tell you this all the time, it is not about you. I think many of you have probably grasped onto that because I say it so often, it's not about you. It's about the glory of God in you and through you. It's what we're going to see here in John 11 in a big, big way. So... Martha and Mary and Lazarus are going to learn that it's not all about them. And I hope that you've learned this lesson as a Bible-believing Christian. It is about the glory of God. And if you pay much attention in this church, you realize that the glory of God is... I, 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 I hate to ask. I won't ask. But the glory of God is what? The, our joy, Right? So as God pursues His glory, He's really pursuing our joy. And you're going to see it in John 11. You see how God glorifies Himself in this miracle, and you see the joy of Martha and Mary and, oh yeah, the dead guy. This is what God does. As He pursues His glory, He brings joy to His people. This is an, an incredible, incredible message that we see here in John 11. Yeah, we're all so infatuated with the reflection in the mirror, right? We, we can't get past the reflection in the mirror. I'm so in love with myself and what I think God should do and how I think my life should go that we never, we never turn away from the reflection in the mirror to actually look at God and lay on our face before God and say, Lord, do Your will in my life. For your glory. Because we biblically know when we lay our life out before God like this, it's not only for His glory, it's for our joy. We know it. We believe it. We trust it. It's one thing we will see in John 11. The text says He loved them. So what? Or therefore, those are two good translations, so or therefore. So what? Jesus he ran immediately to heal Lazarus. That's what happened, right? That's what happened. Is that what happened? That's not what happened. He tarried for two days. How can this be love? You tell me. How can this be love? How does Jesus call this love? He can heal Lazarus. He can do it. But He tarries. And He allows Lazarus to die. He allows Martha and Mary to go through this difficult trial. How is that love? Well, it depends on how you define love, right? Do you, do you define it like a human being? Or do you define it like God? And so let's keep an eye out as we go through the text regarding this. Jesus tarries for two days. You know, the definition... The human definition of love is what's good for me, what's good for my family, uh, the blessings I get from God. You know, it's all about, again, it's about the guy, it's about the reflection in the mirror. It's all about that. 
It's all about human comfort, human ease, um, human well-being. But Jesus' definition is different. I've been saying this a lot lately. It just keeps coming up. As C.S. Lewis says, God will not be distracted with your temporal happiness. You know why God will not be distracted with your temporal happiness? He means to give Himself to you. It's what we're going to see in John 11. God means to give Himself to Martha and Mary and even Lazarus like they've never known Him before. They get a new revelation of God. Do you see that? How even in the hard place, we as Christians can have a sense of expectancy about what great thing God will do? John 11 is so powerful. I just I absolutely love John 11. So Jesus loves them, so He doesn't come to them. Jesus loves them, so He doesn't heal Lazarus. Jesus loves them, so He allows Lazarus to die. God says, this is how I love My people. And some of you are still scratching your head. How can this be love? Because Jesus is going to reveal Himself in a brand new way. And you know what the human soul was created for, right? You know. To delight in God. And when you try to delight in anything other than God, you will be frustrated. You will be bored. You will be anxiety-ridden. You will ultimately be desperate. Your soul needs God. Your soul was wired for God. You must have God. And God is about to give Himself to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in a brand new way. This is big. And John 11 big. You say, Jim, it's hard in my life right now. Hey, are you a Christian? Be on the lookout for the glory of God. He's coming. If it's hard in your life, you can mark it down. God is coming. God means to reveal Himself to you in a brand new way. Way. This is divine love. Divine love keeps Christ central. It's not about you. It's not about your reflection in the mirror. It's about God. And it's about, it's about what you were made for and who you were made for. It's all about Jesus Christ. I think it was Thoreau who said, men live lives of quiet desperation. I will amend that. Unbelievers live lives of quiet desperation. They have no hope of getting out of this bondage of sin and frustration and uh, again, anxiety and fear, ultimately death and judgment. No hope. It's just quiet desperation. So we are created for the glory of God. I've been making the point but Romans chapter 1, we exchange the glory of God for junk. Lesser things. Some of you are still doing this in your life. You still think your career is going to make you happy. You still think your family is going to make you happy. You still think some perfect kids will make you happy. You still think success will make you happy. You still think that, uh, yeah, there's something in this world that can make you happy. And I lovingly say to you as a pastor of the Word of God, it's not possible. It will never happen. I'm not saying we, can't have, we don't have some measure of temporal happiness. But the soul has to have God, beloved. The soul must have God. If you've lived any number of years at all, I suspect that you all understand 
this. Jesus loved them, so He stayed two more days. Jesus loved them, so He didn't go and cure Lazarus. Jesus loved them, so he, He's going to disclose Himself in a brand new way. He's going to blow up their world, right? Don't you love it when God does that? When God does something brand new in your life? Something shocking and surprising? Don't you love it when He does that? He's going to do that in their life. He's going to let them taste awe and wonder and joy. Divine love gives that which is preeminently best, and that is God Himself. So, I hope you have that point. Verses 10 through 11. Pardon me. Uh, verses 7 through 10. Jesus says, Let's go to Judah. And the disciples are not jazzed about this. Verse 8. They're, they say, Rabbi, they're trying to kill you there. In verse 9, Jesus says, uh, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we understand what Jesus is saying here. It's a little bit cryptic, but what is Jesus saying here? What does He say? He said, God has meted out 12 hours to me. This is, this is a, a, an analogy of, of a lifespan. I have a lifespan, and I'm not going to die one second sooner or one second later than God has ordained. David tells us this in Psalm 139. We get this. So, basically, Jesus is saying, Buck up, boys! Right? God is sovereign. My Father is sovereign. We'll go to Judah. We're bulletproof. I'll go to Judah. Nobody takes my life till I lay it down. But this is applicable for us too, beloved. We can be bold. We can be fearless. No man takes my life unless God has ordained it. Big lesson for us there. Big lesson. If God is for us, you know how it ends. If God is for us, somebody tell me. Just anybody tell me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody! This is what Jesus is saying. Buck up! We're going to Judah! Right? So they head off to Judah. Verses 11-16. through 16. He tells them, Verse 11, he tells them that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples don't understand verse 12. He said, well, if he's fallen asleep, he's okay. He'll, he'll recover. And then Jesus says, uh, Jesus, uh, verse 14, Jesus therefore said to them plainly, he is dead. Sleep is often a metaphor in the Bible for death. Verse 15, and listen to what Jesus says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so what? Someone tell me. I want, somebody, you tell me from, from your Bible. What does it say? I'm glad I, Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sakes because what? What? So that you might... What? Okay. Is God doing something bigger in Martha and Mary's trial than you ever expected? God's going to build the faith of His disciples through the trial of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. This is another huge lesson of, <laughs> of John 11. He's not only revealing Himself to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He's going to reveal Himself in a new way to the disciples and everybody who witnesses it. God is doing a huge thing here. You think your trial is just about your trial. It's much bigger, beloved. Whatever God brings into the believer's life, it's all about God being glorified in your circumstance as you continue to praise and worship Christ through it. And people around you will believe. It's one thing that Jesus is saying here. The disciples' faith will be built upon 
this trial that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus have gone through. As they see how God glorifies Himself through it. So I want to say this to you. What God is doing in my life, He is in one sense doing in your life. You're supposed to see God in me. And the same thing is true for you. What God is doing in your life, it's supposed to affect my life. I'm supposed to see how you deal with your trial and how you deal with God. Do you understand? Jesus is saying, as Martha and Mary and Lazarus go through this trial, as I take them through this, you will believe. Beloved, we're all in this together. It's why the body of Christ, it's why it's important we come in here on Sunday and we worship together. You're to encourage me and I'm to encourage you. I'm to see God off your life and you're to see, you're to see God off my life, right? I'm supposed to believe more because of how you live. And vice versa. It's one of the things that Jesus is saying. We are to live in such a way, even through the hard thing, that our lives point to Christ. The re- not just academically, you know, not in some theoretical way, but I stand on a rock and everybody in my life sees me standing on this rock. And then people are compelled. How do you go through this and worship your God? And then we share the Gospel. It's part of what the trial is all about. Sharing the Gospel. It's an amazing, amazing truth. So next time the trial comes to you, be aware that God most likely is converting someone around you as they watch you love Him through it. you understand what I'm saying? It's one of the lessons of John 11. Verse 16, Thomas says, well, let us go and die with Him, right? <laughs> of course, we know what happens when Jesus is arrested. They all run. But He's pretty brave right now. He's feeling good, right? He's feeling good. Let's go and die. So how many of the, uh, how many of the 11 faithful disciples uh, did die for their faith? Anybody know? Ten of eleven were martyred, right? Um, only John wasn't martyred. But ten of, and Thomas did die. Church history tells us that Thomas was speared in India. So, verses 17 and 19. Jesus came and found that He had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, only two miles off. So, um, there were a lot of Jews had come out from Jerusalem to come uh, and visit with Martha and Mary. Obviously, they were a, um, a renowned family in the area. So, uh, Martha comes out to meet Jesus, and we find out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Why is this important? Why is it important? That, why do you think the Bible tells us how long he's been dead? Any ideas? Some of you probably know this. But some of you aren't very confident. What? <laughs> Is it like an image to Jesus three days after? Okay, that's a good answer. There was a superstition among the Jews that the Spirit would hover for three days. Right? This is the fourth day. He's dead. He ain't coming out. Right? He ain't coming out. He's dead. He's already decomposing. There's, there's, a, 
the, the, the Jews obviously they did not they did not embalm. He's dead. This is not a resuscitation. If he comes out, <laughs> this is definitely a resurrection. So, verse 20, Martha therefore, when he heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet Him, but Mary sat in the house. I read this text to you earlier. Martha says, Lord, if You'd been there, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, He'll give it. Don't you love her faith? And Jesus says to her, your brother shall rise again. And Martha says, yeah, I know he will in the general resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so I ask each one of you, do you believe it? Have you believed it in such a way that everything has changed? I'm not talking about, I never talk about, I agree with facts. There's a lot of people in hell who agree with facts. That's not what I'm talking about. Have you believed in such a way that your life has changed? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you walk with Jesus Christ? Is He Lord of your life? This is what the Bible's talking about when it talks about belief. This is always what the Bible is talking about. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, I have believed that You are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who has come into the world. So she makes her profession. But it's interesting, isn't it? At first, she, she kind of says, well, she implies that God's late, right? Did you notice? God, if You'd been here, Right? <laughs> you know, isn't she a lot like you and me? Lord, why did you tarry? You're late. Is God late? Maybe for my priority, but never for His. Amen? His is to glorify Himself in the eyes of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus and every witness around. And oh, guess what? As long as history lasts, when men and women read this story, that Christ would be glorified in it. Right? God always has a much bigger goal in His sights than you and I have in ours. There's a low view of God in the modern church, right? That He's maybe inept and He can't get... Maybe He's impotent and maybe He can't get done what He wants done. Listen, anytime you're in a church that talks like that, you need to leave the church immediately. If you're in a so-called church that talks like this, or that leaves the, the, the taste in your mouth, or the impression that God is frustrated and God can't get His will done, you need to leave the church, that church, so-called church, immediately. Our God does all that He pleases in heaven and earth. He tells us that in His Word. We've seen it in the Bible. We've seen it in the history of Mankind. I'm not saying that we always understand all that God does, but we do profess an almighty, sovereign God. He is omnipotent. There's not one rogue molecule in the universe. We affirm that that is who Jehovah God is. And so there's this dialogue, right? There's this dialogue. Martha, do you believe? She says, yes! I believe! I do believe. And it's a beautiful, beautiful testimony, right? And I'm going to ask you again, have you believed like that? It's the most important question anyone will ever ask you. Have you believed like that? 
Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that He is God incarnate? Do you believe that He is the Redeemer? Have you believed it? Have you professed it? And have you followed Him in biblical baptism? This is the fundamental question that any pastor will ask any congregant. Have you done this? Have you professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you followed, it, followed Him in biblical baptism? I'm not talking about infant baptism, ritualistic baptism. I'm talking about a baptism that declares, I love Christ. That's what I'm talking about. He demands that kind of response. The Lord Jesus demands that kind of response. Verse 28 to 32. When she had said this, she went back and called Mary. She told Mary that the teacher was asking for her. She arose quickly and went to Jesus. And Jesus had not yet come into the village, so, so Mary goes out to Him. And the Jews that were with her in the house, they thought they were, that she was going to the tomb, so they followed her. There will be many witnesses here, right? Verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, uh, she saw Him and fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my Father would not have died. She says the same thing, right? She says the same thing that Martha says. I'm going to say this one more time. Jesus loved them. So, He tarried two days. Jesus loved them. And His delay is about God and the glory of God and the joy of His people. His delay is about what God wanted to do in the lives of this family. His delay was about the lives of His disciples. His delay was about the lives of the witnesses. His delay was about your life and my life. His delay was about uh, every nation, tongue, and tribe uh, over the face of the earth who would hear about John 11. Listen, you... We all think way too small about what God's doing in our life. You have no idea how powerful your witness is in the world. You have no idea. And oftentimes we hold our tongues. And maybe sometimes in discernment this is right. In wisdom and discernment. But sometimes we just need to speak. You have no idea. We talked about it last week. God will do miracles through His Word. God does miracles through His Word. Are you speaking His Word out in the world? You call yourself a Christian. Are you speaking the Word? Listen, there'll be people in heaven because God used you to speak the Word. This is big. It gives me goosebumps. You can't see them, but I have them now. It's an amazing, amazing truth. So His delay was all about love to the greatest possible degree. It's not merely about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. God's doing a global thing in John 11. God is doing a global thing in the death of Lazarus. Do you see it? Do you see it? You have no idea what God means to do through your life. It's an amazing, amazing thought. Verses 33 to 36. And Jesus, he saw her weeping, and the Jews were weeping also, and he was deeply moved in the spirit, and he was troubled. Verse 34, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. 
Verse 35, Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how He loved Him. You ask me, doesn't Jesus know that He's about to raise Him from the dead? Yes, God knows He's about to raise Him from the dead. But what's unique about our God? He is 100% God and 100% man. And He shows us His humanity as He weeps over His friend the death of His friend, and He sees the sadness in Mary. He sees the sadness in the Jews. He weeps. And I've seen a hundred commentaries on all the reasons Jesus is weeping. I'm not going to go into it. He's a man. He's God. But He's a man. He weeps. In just a few moments, He's going to unleash divine power. (laughs) Don't you love Him? (laughs) Don't you love Him? How can you not love Jesus Christ and the Jews. Oh, look how He loved Him. He's shedding some tears. Oh, in a few days, He'll be shedding His blood. That's how much He loves Lazarus. And that's how much He loves you and me. A few tears. Not a big deal. Verse 37. Okay, here come the God critiques, right? You guys know this. You live out in the world. God's always getting critiqued. Well, here they come. But some of them said, well, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man from dying? Well, where was God when he was needed? Why wasn't God here? Why didn't God fix this before it got to this point? What's up with God? Don't you hear this all the time in the world? Every time there's a natural disaster. Where's God? I'm going to indict God. I critique God. God's not running the universe like I think He ought. It's just what men do. It's what unregenerate men do. So they begin to critique God. And I, I, you know, I always say this to you, but God doesn't explain Himself to anybody. <laughs> and this is a really bad analogy, but I couldn't help but thinking of it, think of it, and it made me laugh when I thought of it. But I don't know if you have a hamster or a goldfish. Anybody have a hamster or a goldfish? Nobody? Anybody have a pet at all? Anybody's got anything at all? Any kind of pet? Not a very loving group, are we? Um... um It'd be like your goldfish asking you to explain yourself. When we, try to, when we ask God to explain Himself to us, it's like your goldfish, or, this is a bad analogy, but it's like your hamster saying, I want to talk about what you're doing and how you're running my life. It's comparable to that, beloved, in one sense. I love what Elihu told Bildad in Job 33, Why do you complain against God? He does not give an account of Himself to anyone. And I reiterate that for you tonight. Verse 38, Therefore Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and the stone was lying against it. So we see that He's deeply moved again, right? The God-man. 100% God. 100% man. Jesus says, Remove the stone! And Martha, verse 39, and Martha, the the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. I don't want to be too hard on Martha, but here she goes again. She's going to counsel God, right? She's going to counsel God. It's kind of like a knee jerk reaction. You know, Lord, there'll be a stench. Well, you think God knows it? Don't you think God knows it? It's kind of like you and I when we try to advise God, right? 
<laughs> when we cross over in prayer and we're trying to, 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 to advise and nag God into some action we want from Him. I know she's well-intentioned here, but she says, God, she's already confessed Him. There'll be a stench. <laughs> like He needed her counsel, right? Like He needed her counsel. She doesn't yet understand how awesome He is. And He is about to show her. I love John 11. I could preach it every week. I say that a lot, don't I? But I could. I really, I really could. Okay, verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now the world says if... What? The world says it backwards, right? If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Seeing is believing. No, not with God. Believing is seeing. So we are aliens and exiles. We don't think like the world. We are different from the world. Verses 41 and 42. So they removed the stone and Jesus raised His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You heard me. And I know that You hear me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that You did send Me. Why does Jesus pray? Does He need power? It's just a witness. It's a testimony to everybody around that I and the Father are one. Every, we do everything in unison. Jesus has no lack of power. Again, He's always... He's always pointing to the Father. He's always bringing glory to the Father, even as you are always bringing glory to the Son, right? This is what we're called to as Christians. So, this is a testimony to the bystanders that they may believe Jesus is of God. He is from God. He is God. Okay, I, don't, I never ask you to do this. But I want to ask you to put yourself on the scene. Okay? You may need to close your eyes. In fact, I would invite you to close your eyes. And I want you to put yourself on the scene. And I want you to see the tomb. I want you to be there. I want you to see the crowd. And I want you to hear this guy from Nazareth say, Remove the stone. And I want you to feel... The horror of that. And the disgust of that. This carpenter guy from Nazareth says remove the stone. And to your utter belief, they do it. They remove the stone. Do you see? They're removing the stone. And you can see the corpse in there. You see the corpse. You can smell him. You can see Him. And you can smell Him. Are you there? Do you, do you see it? You could hear a pin drop except for your heart is beating so hard in your ears you can't hear anything else. Right? And this carpenter guy from Nazareth, he says, Lazarus, come out! You can't believe it. You can't believe your ears. 
You hold your breath. And then you see the corpse starts to move. The corpse starts to move. And he walks out of the tomb. Do you feel the awe of it? Do you feel the wonder of it? Everybody is speechless, right? This carpenter guy from Nazareth just called a man dead four days out of the tomb. He's still covered with burial wrappings. In verse 44, Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. (laughs) This is your God. This is our God. This is what He does. When it pleases Him, He takes that which is dead and He makes it alive. And if you're a Christian tonight, that's what He's done in your soul. You were dead, but now you live. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen? He is the resurrection and the life. This chapter is about love and glory and joy. Okay, so I... I want you to understand that Jesus didn't respond in the way that Martha and Mary wanted Him to respond. But, initially. But did you see He's done something bigger? Some of you, you say, well, God's not answering. God has said no. God has said no. God has said no. We've been talking about this with the young adults. The no is just as good as the yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, if it's God's will to say no, you want the no. You want the no. He knows better. The no is better than, you know, a phony yes. If it's no, it's no. What did Paul say when he prayed three times that the the thorn in the flesh would be removed? And God said, no! My grace is sufficient for you. What did Paul do? Did Paul throw a tantrum? Did Paul get mad? Did Paul abandon the faith? Did Paul complain and moan and groan? What did Paul do? Someone tell me. Paul said, therefore, I'm well contented in the no. That's not exactly what he said, but that's my paraphrase. I'm well contented with what God has decided to do in my life, right? Beloved, this is a beautiful truth. It will set you free to just let God be God. It will set you free. You don't have to lay your hands on stuff. You don't have to try to control everything. You let God be God. Just let God be God. Let Him be glorified and you get the joy. Can you imagine the joy of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus laughing uncontrollably because He was just a few moments ago dead? I've got goosebumps again. (laughs) I can't help it, man. This is what God does. This is what God does. Verse 45. Someone tell me. What does it say? Just What's the key thing there? What happens? Verse 45. You see what God's doing? You see how big God's love is? It's not just about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It's not just about the witnesses. But what happens? Many what? Many believed. And when the trial comes in your life, God means for you to glorify Him in such a way that people will see that He is God. And some will be converted. I won't read the rest of the chapter. You guys know what happens. The Pharisees get wind of it. And did you notice? You can read the end of the chapter for yourself. The Pharisees never 
deny the miracle. They never deny the miracle. You can't deny the miracle. Lazarus is walking around. Right? They never deny it. They can't deny it. But what do they decide to do? Oh, let's kill God! This shows you, doesn't it? Doesn't it show you? <laughs> that belief and unbelief is not an intellectual issue, it's a moral issue. If you reject Jesus Christ, it's on moral grounds. It's not an intellectual question. It's never an intellectual question. God has told us in Romans chapter 1 that we know He's God. We know it. We know it. This is not an intellectual question. It's written on your heart. Jesus, made by Jesus Christ. It's written on your heart. His label is on your heart. You are His in a proprietary sense, whether you love Him or not, whether you ever become a Christian. We've been talking about this as well. So, they decide to kill God and this is what we will see in the coming weeks. Next week, I think we'll, we'll look just for a minute at how Mary loved Jesus. You remember what she did right before His entry into Jerusalem. We may look at that for a few minutes and then we'll see His entry into Jerusalem. Oh, how I love John 11. I love John 11. And it's just, it's huge. I hope that maybe you will go and spend some time there uh, in the coming weeks.